0: As we move on into chapter one of the book of Job today, we take a few minutes to review, but then we turn our thoughts toward what's happening in Job's life. See, there were some things Job could see, but there were some things he couldn't see. You will recall that God points out Job, but that Satan already knew about Job. He had been trying to get to him. And today we're gonna look at Satan's assaults upon Job. As I've said many times, it's so important as we look at Job that we glean from Job what the nature of God is and his work in this world and what the nature of the devil is and his work. And remember that God and the devil are not co-equal. They're not equal and opposite forces. God is God. And ultimately we see that through his providential care of his children, Satan is restricted in what he can do. Join us today as we continue looking at this great sweet book and we see That God is the great keeper of the hedge and the devil is the great afflictor of the brethren. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Tonight I want to go back to the book of Job, and I don't want to review like I did this morning, but I want to review quickly uh, what we've been talking about here in the book of Job. We know that Job is the oldest written book in the Scriptures, not dealing with the oldest things in history, but it was written even before Genesis was written. Moses wrote Genesis uh, and the rest of the five books of Moses uh, later on. And, and so it's fascinating to me because, and it, it doesn't tell historical events, it tells about a relationship between a man named Job and his peers, and especially his relationship with God. And we said this morning, and I'm going to repeat it every time I come back to the book of Job, that we need to understand Job. Because if we misunderstand Job, we very well may misunderstand the nature of God himself. This is the earliest account of God, earliest written account of God and who he is. And we know a lot about God from the declarations in the scripture. And and we know that he is uh, who he is. We can study about his attributes. But here we see God in action. And it's important that we understand what the book is all about. And as I said this morning... The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. So look over to the fifth chapter of James, and we'll just reread that verse 11 there. If you really want to know what all the book of Job is about, here it is. Behold, in James five eleven, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I've heard people say, I don't like the book of Job because I don't like what God did to Job. If you think God is doing this to Job, you've missed the point of the book of Job. You've not read it correctly. You've not understood it correctly. Now, I realize, I, I even myself, I grew up uh, uh, thinking those very same thoughts and interpreting Job in a way differently than I believe it's supposed to be interpreted. But if you want to really know what it's about, and this is not exhaustive. This is not uh, exclusive. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I see at least three themes to the book of Job. Two of them are mentioned right here, the patience of Job. The patience of Job is a theme and how he endures suffering. Also, the pity of God, the pity of God upon Job. He is, you know, if you read Job and come away with a feeling that, oh, God is arbitrary and he's mean and he's manipulative and he's, He's, he's something to be not just feared in a reverent way, but terrified of because you never know what he might do to you, then you've missed the point of God. Here the end of Job, or the end of the Lord rather, it's not the end of Job, it's the end of the Lord, is that he is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And we'll see this as we go through this book. We'll see as you read this book, you'll understand that Job is about the love and tender mercy of God, the pity of God, but also... It's about the pride of God, (laughs) okay? Now, Now, when I say pride in relation to God, I don't mean it in a bad way. God is proud of Job. God is, we read this morning how he pointed out Job. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He's not saying, hey, go get him, Satan. He's saying, let me show you how true believers serve me. Out of love, out of, out of reverence, out of faithfulness. Look at this, faithfulness. We're told that he was the greatest of all the men on the earth. In fact, in chapter 1 of Job, in verse 8, this is what God says to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? There was nobody better in his actions, better in his service than Job was in that day. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That doesn't mean he was sinlessly perfect. It simply means he was mature. He was spiritually mature. He wasn't sinlessly perfect. He was spiritually mature. And he was serving God in a way that demonstrated to those around him that he was a child of God and that he was, he was a lover of the Lord. And that's what Job was first and foremost. He loved God. He loved his family. I'm sure he took care of his flocks and loved them to the extent that, that you can on this earth. But he loved God and God affirmed that. This, when Job makes some claims later on about how he was faithful, he's not lying about it, and he's not puffing those claims. Now, now the, the fourth theme that I think runs through the book of Job, though, that we need to remember is this. Is, as I said, Job wasn't perfect. So not only are we looking at the pride of, you know, God is proud of us. God, is, God delights in the faithfulness of his children. I, I, it's hard for me to fathom that when I consider myself to be a worm of the dust. But yet, when he, is, he has taken me from the beggar's dust of this world, and he has placed me in the palaces of his own throne room, through the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, he, he wants to see me do well. He wants to see me serve him. And when I do, he delights in that. He's not delighted when we we stray away. He's not delighted when I neglect him. But when I am faithful to him, especially in the crucible of suffering, he is delighted with me. So here we have God's pride. But now another theme that runs through this book that you'll see as you read it is, is, is the pride of Job and his friends. Okay. As I said, they're not sinlessly perfect. They're not sinlessly perfect. There's some pride involved. You're going to hear Job kind of boast a little bit later on. And, and, and in a sense, I can understand it, that his friends come to him and keep, keep wearing him out with this idea that God wouldn't be punishing you if you hadn't done something wrong. <laughs> and and, and they, they presume two things. Number one, that God's doing it. And number two, that Job must be some great hypocrite. And, and then we hear Job start lifting himself up a little bit. And certainly all those miserable comforters were prideful. And I want to tell you, beloved, there is nothing like the valley of suffering to, to, to weed out all the pride from your life. It is hard to be prideful when you're laying flat on your back, suffering in this world. So this morning we saw the situation Job could see in the first five verses where he was doing pretty well. His family was doing well. His, his health was fine. His material blessings were still there. And he was still being faithful. He was, he was sacrificing on a regular basis, even on behalf of his children. Like today, we would say, I pray daily for my children. I pray daily for my family. I pray not only that they would just, you know, he wasn't just praying, Lord, I want them to prosper. I want them to have great you know great estates and 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 positions of authority he was praying God I hope they haven't offended you and if they but if they have I'm going to try to intercede on their behalf because I love you more than them but I love them a lot and I want you and them to be reconciled together now he was he's not teaching here some kind of vicarious Uh, a reconciliation you know that's still a personal relationship it's still a personal thing between you and god but did you know that that it's important that we pray for one another it's important that when we see one another sometimes we don't know what's going on and you know i don't know what's going on in brother james's life you know i need to be praying for him that the lord would be with him i need to be praying for him i may say you know brother james might have slipped up today he might have done something wrong today lord forgive him You know, that's an appropriate prayer. And it's not because of, it's not because, uh, it is because I love Brother James, but it's not only because I love Brother James, it's primarily because I love God. And I know he's one of his children, and I want to see them, you know, God is, is pleased, as I said, when he delights in our service to him. And the situation Job could see is everything was going well. But, you know, it reminds us in every situation we can see, there's a situation we cannot see. We talked this morning about how I don't believe this is heavenly, a heavenly scene. This is a scene where the sons of God, that is, children of God, Probably Job and his children himself came to present themselves before the Lord. You know, they were coming to worship him. That's a worship service like this. You know, several reasons that I don't believe it's a, it's a scene in heaven. One is Satan came among them, and Satan is not welcome in the, in the throne room of God. Satan is no longer welcome, welcome in heaven. Plus, it says there was a day, and there's no day in heaven. It's just a, an eternal day. There's no separate days or passage of time. But we saw where the devil came along, and and as we left it this morning, we saw God's purpose. The struggle is about to begin, and here is God's purpose. Look in verse 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Now, again, I I say what I said at the beginning. If you go away from Job thinking God is some kind of mean-spirited manipulator, you have missed the point. What is mean-spirited in this? What do you see in this other than God being proud of one of his children? You know, like we would be proud of our children. When my children do well, I'm proud of that. You know, it's you know, uh, God. You know, they didn't have Facebook in that day. God couldn't put on Facebook. Look at Job. You know, uh, we it probably I, I, I suggest that probably God would uh, would 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 not have touched Facebook with a ten foot pole. But be that as it may, uh, so you know that's what we do today, right? We see our children do something great, and we put it on Facebook. We like you know we're proud of them. Well, this is God broadcasting. Look at Job. Job is doing doing right. I am so proud of him. I love him so much, and I love how he serves me. I delight in him. Satan, can you see it here? (laughs) And that's kind of where we left it this morning. So tonight, I want us to look at Satan's purpose here. See, God's purpose was to praise Job, but notice what Satan's purpose is. Satan's purpose is to get Job. He's to get him. Notice the answer that Satan gives in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face." There's several things to unravel here about what Satan says. The first thing we need to notice is that Satan cannot believe that anybody would serve God for naught, for, for, that anybody would be a servant of the Lord that's not doing it with an improper motive of getting some kind of gain. You know, we mentioned this morning about friends maybe you've had where uh, they quit being your friend when you quit buying their lunch. <laughs> You know, when they when they lost their free ride, they quit being the. See, see, jo, uh, Satan believes Job is a paid lover of the Lord. He says, "You take away the blessings now, and he's gonna he's gonna kick you to the curb, Lord. He's not gonna love you anymore." Now, <clears throat> one of the things Satan, Satan cannot fathom that. See, partly because especially at this time, you see, I don't. Satan's not omniscient. Satan is not. You know, I don't know what he knew about God's purpose in eternal salvation, but I know he didn't know all about it. He knew enough to know that there was going to be a day when he would be tormented. There's going to be a day when he's going to be overthrown. You know, those demons that Jesus cast out said something to Jesus, said, are you here to torment us before the time? (laughs) I don't know. I don't believe, though, that Satan knew all the details. I don't know that he knew the timing. I don't know. You know, I believe when he was tempting the Lord, part of the reason he was tempting the Lord Jesus over there was to prove for himself that this really was the seed of the woman that was to come and bruise his head. But be that as it may, here he cannot fathom the ultimate glory of the grace of God in eternal salvation. Doth doth Job serve God for naught? You know what the answer to that is? Do you serve God for nothing? You know what the answer to that is? We don't serve him for nothing. We don't serve him for nothing. But the, the, the things that we're serving him for doesn't have anything to do with the material blessings that we have in this life. You know why we serve him? We serve him because he's blessed us with the greatest blessing of all time, which is our eternal salvation eternal redemption that's found only in the blood of jesus you're going to hear job Later on, talk about his Redeemer living. You see, Job, you know, when Job gets down, he he begins to suffer like this. And in the midst of his suffering, it's like there's a point that he comes to in the 19th chapter where the only thing that picks him up is he says, I want you. I love the way he says, I want these words to be eternal words. He says, oh, that my words were now written, that they were graven with iron and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And yea, though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh will I see God, whom I shall see for myself and not another. Job really wasn't serving God for nothing, but it wasn't the nothing that the uh, the devil was talking about. (laughs) The devil was talking about the wrong nothing, okay? Uh, Job was serving him because he knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed salvation, and he knew God had somehow provided it to him, even though he didn't know all the details. He didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. He He may not have even known the name of the town of Bethlehem, but he knew that his Redeemer lived. He wasn't serving God for nothing. And I want to say to you, beloved, forget about all the blessings that you've ever wanted in your life. Forget about all the blessings you've ever had in your life. Just pretend from this moment forward, God never blesses you again in this life. Just just think for a moment that you never have another easy breath. You never have another day where anything works out, where the stock market goes your way, where the election goes your way, where your health goes your way. Just pretend that from this moment forward, there will be no peace, nothing but pain, nothing but suffering, nothing but sorrow in your life. And guess what? You've already been blessed beyond measure. You've already been blessed more than you deserve. And you have the greatest blessing waiting on you that, that, that you can't even fathom in this life. The half has not been told, as the Queen of Sheba said to Solomon. <laughs> the half has not been told of the riches we're going to have in glory. You say, boy, I've got plans. I've got, I want to see my ball team win. I want to go fishing. I want to go hunting. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to, I want to do all these things. Well, I hope you get to. I hope you experience those blessings. I have some things I want to do. I have some blessings I desire of God. But if he never blesses me again, the greatest blessing that I'll ever receive from him, I've already received through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day on that day, when he stands again on this earth, guess what? I know my Redeemer liveth too. And he has redeemed me from the curse of sin and I will live with him forever. See, Job really wasn't serving God for nothing. But the devil, Satan, just didn't understand what the nothing was that he was talking about. He thinks that because God has made a hedge about him and because God has protected him on every side, that that's the only reason Job is serving God. Now, if you buy into the prosperity gospel of this day, that may very well be the case you find yourself in, that the only reason you serve him is because of what you can get out of him. That's what the prosperity gospel says. Said, oh, if you just had enough faith, God would bless you with all these material things. Give, give the church $100, you'll get $10,000, but you've got to do it in faith. You've just got to have enough faith. Some say if you've got enough faith, you'll be healed from all your cancer, all your problems. Everything will go well with you. If you buy into that, you'll end up being a paid lover of the Lord. But that's not what we are. You see, the devil can't fathom that. Satan can't fathom the great glory of the gift of the grace of God and how much it ought to inspire us to serve the one who has paid it all for us. You know, that's the problem with the messages out in the world because the message is out in the denominational world and indeed throughout the world, any message that's not based upon the sovereign grace of God is that part of your salvation at least is up to you. Some say all of it is. You know, I don't owe God, whole, I don't owe Him much if I've worked my way into heaven, right? He owes me. <laughs> that's what happens when you work, you get paid wages. You, you earn wages. So if you're working your way to heaven, you're earning The wage of eternal life. The problem with that is you'll never earn it. (laughs) There's not enough work you can do out there. All your righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. The devil cannot fathom the kind of service that understanding the gift of grace engenders in one of God's children. And something else here that's very important to notice, because I've heard it said before, and I... Unfortunately, I've probably said it before in my ministry in years past that God instigated this against Job. In other words, God pointed Job out to the devil. And before that, the devil was just, you know, minding his own business, doing something. You notice that's not what the text tells us, is it? He said, hast thou considered my servant Job? And you know what the devil said? He said, yeah, (laughs) I've been considering him. You made a hedge about him, Lord. The, the implication is I've been trying to get to him and you won't let me. I've been wanting to, to destroy him and his substance. I've been wanting to destroy his health and his family. But you got this hedge about him, Lord. you got this hedge here that's, uh, that's keeping me out. In other words, the devil, let me, let me say this to you. Don't you ever think that the devil doesn't know more about you than you know about yourself. He's a whole lot smarter than you. Now, he's not omniscient, but he, he and his minions are a whole lot smarter than you are. That's why I hear these preachers on TV sometimes calling out the devil. Satan, I, you know, I call you down. and I, Listen, you're not going to hear me say that. You know why? Because I'm afraid of the devil. <laughs> I'm not going to have any bravado in the devil's face. Now, look, I know he's been defeated. I know that ultimately I'm going to win, but there's a lot of havoc that he can wreak upon me here today. And I'm scared of the devil. And he never tells us to attack the devil. You know, I know we've said, I've said this before, and and, and you know what I mean when I say it. You know, I feel so lifted up in the spirit that I feel like I could charge hell with a water pistol. You know, (laughs) I mean, sometimes we feel that way, but let me just say, don't ever do it. (laughs) Don't ever do it because you'll lose. He will destroy you in this life. He said, resist the devil but on the whole armor of God. God has provided us with some armor and He's provided us with some things that will protect us, but but we cannot rebuke Him like Jesus did. The devil's been all about Job, all about coming to get Job. And then the third thing that you need to get from this that I think is so important here, and it almost brings tears to my eyes every time I read it, because one thing... One thing we need to get from the book of Job is a firm understanding of the nature of God and what he's doing and the nature of the devil and what he's doing. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates.